What's up, guys? It's CG Kid. For those new to my podcast, we explore the subjective experience of addiction and recovery and various mind-altering substances to further educate the general public and to give addicts and their loved ones hope that sobriety is possible. Today, we have two guests. Uh, it's Matt and Greg, and they're from uh, Project Unbroken. They're on YouTube as well, and they have a channel going there. Uh, and they, they seek to educate people and they have a unique take on recovery, which we're going to go over. Uh, it's not, you know, the 12 step fellowship that we're used to hearing about over and over again. And also they both were addicted to heroin. One got sober with Subox and maintenance programs and and the other got sober with methadone. So we're going to kind of go over that experience first. Uh, what's up guys? Uh, feel free to introduce yourself right now so people can kind of distinguish your voices. What's happening, CG? This is Matt. And what's going on? This is Greg. Hey, so uh, let's talk a little bit about heroin uh, here. Um, what is the withdrawal like like for you guys? Uh, and I'm curious to hear from both of you guys, you know, like, because, you know, withdrawals are very subjective. Everybody's going to react differently. I personally didn't. I got heroin withdrawals, but not really that bad. And uh, I think that's really fascinating to me because I actually have met people that, get kratom withdrawals and i never had a kratom withdrawal so i'm just curious like walk us through uh just quickly like what it was like to go through that and why the withdrawal was so bad it kept you in your addiction yeah i'll start with that um you know i my you know the way i look at withdrawal is kind of separate uh, between the you know physical withdrawal symptoms and the mental withdrawal symptoms um and I look at them separately, but they're also really connected in a few different ways. So it, it was kind of, it was unique for me um, to kind of think about describing the, the symptoms and the experience of it, just looking back. And the first time uh, that I experienced any really bad withdrawal symptoms, I was actually out of the country on vacation, and I had never gone without heroin up until this point, and I really didn't expect it to be that bad. And it was about, I'd say, 12 to 16 hours after my last fix. And I was out to dinner with some family members. And all of a sudden, my mood got just really dark. And my stomach just started, like, grumbling. And I, I had to go to the bathroom. I was immediately sick, um, doubled over, just cramped up. It was it was brutal. And it... it really didn't improve at all um, for the next four or five days until I was actually able to, to find uh, some drugs while I was out of town. But the, the physical symptoms ranged everywhere from, again, just almost like a stomach virus sort of thing to cold sweats, uh, just to feeling like I had all the worst symptoms of the flu. Um, my bones were achy. It was it, the only relief I could find from the physical symptoms where it, it was sitting in a warm bath for as long as I could. Um, and then on the other side of it was the, uh, the mental symptoms that, that came along with it were, were just as bad because just the anxiety made it really hard to think clearly at all. And my mind was just racing out of control. So it was, it was hard to navigate the whole situation. Um, but again, like you said, I think it's different for everybody, but it, it's, if it, if it gets bad, it's definitely enough to keep you wrapped up in, in whatever you're stuck with. Yeah. So for me, um, 
a lot of the same physical stuff. Like what most people know about it, you know, the restless legs, throwing up, shitting yourself. And just you, you feel like horrible physically. But for me, that was never the main problem. Like it sucked to feel like that. And yeah, it's not fun. But for me, it was more the mental part. Like I got severe anxiety. And when I was withdrawing, I was like an empty shell. Like when I when I didn't have heroin, I didn't know who I was. Like my heroin was my confidence. So when I started withdrawing, it was like I I didn't know what to do. Like because I was just this empty shell now. Heroin was my identity. So when I wasn't using heroin, I had no idea who I was or where to go or what to do. And I think that's the main thing that kept me going back was just that empty shell feeling. And, you know, of course, all the physical stuff doesn't help. But when you have severe anxiety and you, you're freaking out, you don't know who you are. And the only thing you know is heroin. That's the only thing that makes you feel like yourself. Then that's why I kept going back. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, you know, I, I've been through what's weird for me is I get really bad marijuana withdrawals, but not really bad heroin withdrawals. And uh, it definitely kept me locked into it. And I, it sounds so crazy, but it's crazy how these experiences are so subjective. I think that's like one of the biggest problems in drug education is everybody thinks uh, because this guy took this dose and he felt this way, I'm going to feel the same way and enjoy it when in reality, their body might react adversely or even with withdrawals, everybody assumes they're going to get heroin withdrawals. Uh, actually, my sponsor says he didn't get them either, and he was using daily for a long time, and no withdrawal, able to just stop. So I think it's interesting how it's so subjective. Uh, so, like, you know, for the for the listeners, just bear that in mind when we go into this next topic. Uh, I think we'll start off with Suboxone, which is something I'm curious about. So uh, how did you uh, get introduced to Suboxone or find, discover it? Was it something that you always knew about or was it something that you became aware of? Uh, or, you know, how did that happen? So when we were first finding out about Suboxone, it was, we found it through a large billboard that was uh, right around where we used to score dope. Um, and it, you know, said addicted to opioids, call this number. So we, uh, we called the number up. And uh, Greg, I believe, set up an appointment. And this was um, some sort of, it was, a, it was a doctor. I think it was a husband and wife team. And they had a clinic. Uh, and we didn't know what Suboxone was at the time. But that's what they were prescribing to, to people that were, um, they were looking for a way out. And so Greg went into this clinic. And it was, I think it was like 600 bucks, $600 for a 14-day supply, I believe. So... This doctor gave Greg, I, it was either seven, eight milligram pills or 14, eight milligram pills. I, I forget what it was, but it, it was supposed to be a 14 day supply. And of course, Greg and I had to, you know, split the money for this. So we were going to split the 14 day supply, which in my opinion, now looking back is not nearly enough for one person anyways, but Anyways, we, we got the, um, we got the, the pills and we took them, you know, kind of as prescribed, but for both of us. And it was great. There was no withdrawal symptoms. Um, I, I felt completely fine. I wouldn't say that I got any high off of it necessarily, but maybe a little burst of energy. Um, but the issue was is that we didn't have enough time to make any of the, the real adjustments that we needed to make to have any, shot at recovery so as soon as the 14 day supply which ended up being seven days because we were splitting them as soon as that ran up uh we were quickly you know 
back on the block looking for dope again because we you know we tried to call the doctor and see if we could get any more or pay more and um he was not answering phone calls and the doctor actually uh several years later ended up losing his uh his medical license because this was pretty quickly uh, uncovered as a as a scam uh, just to get money from people who were addicted i just remember seeing a big billboard like in a high traffic area and it was like are you do you have trouble with opiates we'll fix you and it was like you know you go in there you get your 14 day supply and going in being new we thought like all right it's going to fix this like it'll get us through the withdrawal and we can get back on track and it just it just didn't work um but moving forward with that you know I, i always knew in the back of my mind that if i could find a reputable source of suboxone um that I, I had a feeling from that point on that that was going to be my way out, but finding that reputable source was, was difficult. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting you said you got it in pill form because when I've seen Suboxone, it's always been like paper almost. It looks the almost strip. like blot, it looks blot, strip. Yeah. Yeah, it's like a strip. Yeah, we have not seen that, or I never I never took one of those. Now, the ones we've seen, they come in 8 milligram or 2 milligram pills. That's interesting, um, and it's something important to note. Like recreational use of Suboxone is so extremely dangerous for anybody who's listening because Narcan won't save you. <laughs> That's like yeah, the yeah. Thing. yeah. If you overdose on Suboxone, it's just it's it's by time. Like if you're overdosing on heroin, they can counteract that, um, but they cannot counteract uh, Suboxone. So there was times where I was like curious to try it because I uh, I understand if you aren't addicted to heroin it can be psychoactive but then uh, you know it actually can mess you up but then when you're do- talking doses like two milligrams eight milligrams that's a very insignificant amount of the actual active compound and two milligrams can you know someone not addicted to heroin could easily kill them and that if you yeah. looked at like two milligrams on like a table it would look like a couple grains of salt you know what I mean it would look like nothing so. Yeah. In a way, it's it's definitely not some recreational. It's definitely used to get off drugs. So, what were your like initial doses, and like how long was the taper, and what did the taper down look like? So, when I got linked up with a reputable source for Suboxone, it was uh, it was pretty cool. It was a a pediatric, or a, I'm sorry, a physician and a psychiatrist team, and to you know work this program, you had to agree to meet with both. Uh, the psychiatrist and the physician in order to get your monthly dose or prescription. So they were very cool about, um, you know, working with me and, you know, what I was comfortable with for this uh, tapering process, uh, you know, especially because they knew that it was my goal to, to taper off of Suboxone, which I think was also part of the the uh, requirements. Um, so when I started, I really wanted to be you know as I wanted to be as comfortable as possible obviously and try to avoid any withdrawal symptoms so uh, I told them that I thought that starting with 16 milligrams a day was a great place to start and that's you know two eight milligram pills a day and they were they were fine with it um and quickly I quickly realized that that was way too much um I just felt really good um with about eight milligrams a day. I didn't even, you know, come close to, to being able to finish both pills just because I, I didn't really feel the need to. So my second meeting with them the, the next month, I told them that I felt really confident about dropping down to um, eight milligrams a day. And um, 
I would split that dose up. The, the pills were really easy to uh, to break up into pieces, and I would split those up into quarters. And essentially, I would take uh, two milligrams when I woke up, two milligrams right before lunch, two at mid-afternoon, and then two before bed. Um, and then each month, I would work with them on, you know, how the tapering process was going. And, you know, if I felt comfortable at the time uh, dropping my dose down, we would kind of strategize how to do that. And essentially, we would, I kept those four dosing times, I'll call them, throughout the day, and would kind of lower those. So my first um, taper down after I was at the eight milligrams a day, I would drop the, the dose right before bed, I would drop to one milligram. Um, so then I was at seven milligrams. And then I think it was a month later, I would drop, I dropped my second dose to one milligram. So then I was at six milligrams a day. And I kind of continued that process um, over the course uh, from start to finish. It was about 18, 18 months, about a year and a half. Um, and it was, you know, it was very comfortable. It was very pain-free. Um, and, you know, Greg and I talked a lot about uh, what I think helped with that was the psychiatrist and the physician had me incorporating some uh, some healthier habits and some lifestyle changes during the tapering process, uh, you know, specifically to increase the natural production of endorphins, dopamine, serotonin, oxytocin. And that was what I think was most effective um with the tapering process what what were some of these like healthy habits like what's an example of a couple of them um it started we we started first with um with exercise which was it was super moderate there was no there was no physical goal um with the exercise when it started they just said you, you know try to get your heart rate up for a couple minutes a day um to, and that you know was really effective uh, with dopamine and and endorphins, um, and I felt that immediately, and that was almost addicting in itself. And you know, like Greg mentioned earlier, I, I own a gym now, and I, I don't think it's um, you know a surpri- it's not a surprise to me that I, when I found that natural way to produce some of those you know feel good chemicals, I, I call them, um, that I just completely ran with that, but. Nutrition was also a big one. Um, the, the psychiatrist really explained to me the importance of, you know, what you're eating and how that affects your gut biome, which is where, you know, 80 to 90 percent of our serotonin is produced and stored. Um, and if I, if I, you know, changed my diet, it, I really noticed an immediate um, effect on my mental clarity, um, which was which was really big. And then. You know, we put in some, you know, oxytocin was, was more relationship-based, but they had me, you know, just fixing relationships or, or working on relationships. And um, that one was a little bit harder for me to feel the um, immediate results from, I would say. But as far as uh, dopamine and endorphins, uh, ex- exercise was, was big. It's cool you're bringing that up because, like, uh, I was struggling with, you know, I have arthritis, depression, anxiety, uh, I've tried every diet out there. You know, I've been vegan, keto, the whole shebang. And then uh, recently, like 30 days ago, I broke down and, and decided to try the carnivore diet. And uh, 
literally all of it's gone like no arthritis no depression no anxiety i had like insomnia i couldn't sleep um now i sleep like a baby i like to really give you preference it's it's almost like the sick me before is like on 25 milligrams of mdma now throughout the day like everything's clearer i feel more empathic um more light no aches uh i'm able to run a lot further uh and then i i've of course experimented by uh eating chilies there's a simple thing at chilies and immediately the sickness started coming back so uh i think like the additives and food and it's not discussed enough in recovery how important nutrition is and then with exercise i run a mile a day uh most days i'd say at least three days a week um but it's unbelievable uh what difference diet makes and i i don't think it's emphasized enough and i always have that we'll get into it uh, this a bit more but i've always had that critique of 12-step programs like they won't add diet to their program even though when bill wilson wrote this thing in 1934 they weren't adding 500 different preservatives and additives to food you know food is now a drug and uh, absolutely and it you know I, I don't consider there's people that argue what's sobriety what's not well they're arguing someone's not sober because they smoke marijuana and then they go eat McDonald's and I can list off. They actually, there's things in McDonald's that they used to make fireworks. There's psychoactive drugs that are proven to be psychoactive. And here these guys are trying to overcompensate for a small penis by waving around their sobriety time like a belt and put somebody else down. When in reality, like to be sober, like truly sober, you almost have to be a subsistence farmer out in the middle of like New Zealand where the air is fresh and stuff like sobriety is, is is it's a personally defined thing and i think that you know the uh the stuff they're putting in the food is drugs and i think not only is it drugs it kills 3.5 million people a year whereas all, all illegal drugs combined only kill 64,000 people a year so not only is it a drug but it's the most lethal drug in the world um yep yeah, the carnivore diet has been crazy, it? by the way, too, man. I mean, I've only eaten meat. I hope I'm okay. I hope I don't get scurbies. I plan to move into like a, a diet where it's like eat every fruit and vegetable within its season and meat. You know what I mean? That's what I kind of plan to transition into. That's the, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying whether or not I'm a Christian, but like in the Bible, it does say, uh, I think it's after Noah, but basically God in the Bible was saying, you know, it's okay to eat meat and eat every fruit and vegetable within its season. And I think, like, if you had to call it anything, you could almost call it the God diet. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. You might be onto something there, man. Yeah. yeah I, I mean, there's a, there's a lot out there about the carnivore diet right now. Um, and I think it's a really great place for, for people to start, especially if their diet right now, um, you know, when there's a lot in there, you, it could be anything from dairy to grains to, you know, who knows what that you're might just not be jiving with your system. Um, yeah, we've talked about this before, like with recovery, with everything, everyone's different. Like you have to try different things. It's like some people meetings is great for them and it works for them. For me, like when I went to meetings, all they did was talk about drugs and I leave there and I'm like, all right, I want to go do some drugs now. You know, I would go to a meeting and I would leave with like a new connect and end up going out and doing drugs. Like for me, when I got into my recovery, it was like, this is done. Like this is in my rear view. Like I'm like, I'm moving forward. I want to start doing positive things. And some people meetings are great. You know, they go to when that's what they need. The same thing with diet. You know, you got to try different things and your, your body's going to work different ways. For some people, they love milk and it's, it's good for them. Some people, they drink milk and they shit themselves because they're lactose intolerant, right? 
So, I mean, we yeah. all just react differently to different things. You got to try different things and see what's good for you. Yeah, what I like about like things like carnivores, it's high elimination, you know, because you're basically only mm-hmm. eating grass-finished beef and water. And uh, it's not like the water cleanse where you're, you know, I think the water cleanse is great, don't get me wrong, but it's it's like a less extreme version, but essentially has the same fundamentals. Um, it's important to go over that when we're talking about Suboxin maintenance, I feel like, because uh, I think just using Suboxin without those lifestyle changes, yeah, it might help with the withdrawal, you might get off the heroin, but uh, do you got, do you feel personally like it wouldn't have stuck once you got finally off it and you were clear-headed that eventually you could have went back if you didn't have these other things in place? Yeah, I mean, this is something we get a lot of, of feedback on where, you know, we talk about um, our taper method or, or whatever, which, again, is going to be different for everybody. But people, I think, are always really concerned about the, the doses of Suboxone and They'll, we, we follow people through and we communicate with them through this process and they're working their way down. Everything, you know, feels good. I'm, you know, I'm feeling great. Um, and then they get down to the real low doses and it becomes clear that they didn't incorporate any healthy habits or, or lifestyle changes. And I think it, it's maybe there's a lot of psychological stuff. Well, there is a lot of psychological stuff going on here, but I think part of the, or the, the benefit of adding these habits in is you have not only you're not looking at the situation like you're just quitting Suboxone or you're quitting leaving something behind, which I I think almost leaves a void. But when you have these healthier habits in place, I think there's almost a sense of self-improvement that helps that transition go a little bit smoother. Um, Because when you're quitting anything, a lot of times if you're, if you're not looking at the, the direction where you're headed, it, I think it feels like there's just something missing. Um, and when people do incorporate the, the diet and the exercise or the, you know, we talk a lot about meditation, um, it seems like it's able to, to put the focus onto them improving in an area of their life rather than the focus on just the box and just going away. That's absolutely right. And, uh, I think it's easily translated to diet because I've dieted to lose weight. I think a lot of people do. Never worked. Um, I'm too impatient. Um, but when I started dieting to feel good uh, and weight was more of like a uh, positive consequence, it, it, it stuck. And as like addicts, we take drugs to feel good. Like that's what we do. Uh, we put them in our mouths and swallow them to feel good. And, and why should it be any different? them with food you know what i mean it's really kind of like right. transferring it to something that's way more healthy and productive long term and uh i just think people underestimate diet and how much of a role it plays and how much they like i remember my mom saying uh you know you can accomplish something like mdma if you just dieted and exercise and to this day i i dis- i see why i disagreed with her like i can't accomplish the manic episodes like flipping out being unable to function just because i'm so manic but I can accomplish the core uh, feeling of being content with diet, where everything's okay, everything's brighter and clearer. I feel like there's less gravity. You know, it's not a blast of manic energy that lasts four hours, but it's this consistent, stable. So now I eat food to feel good, and it, it's like I feel like addicts in general they, they, they have almost the right mindset. They're just they're taking the wrong things to accomplish it because they're understanding they're doing things to feel good and. Uh, 
with diet with losing weight uh, it's just like if that's your only goal you're gonna get disappointed really fast that's always been my experience it's like i diet um it's been hard as hell i lost two pounds you know what i mean and i have like yeah you know, 50 pounds yeah. to go and it's been a month you know what i mean and then you know Absolutely. it's easy to give up on it you know uh, but when i diet to feel good uh, within a week i can tell a big difference and uh usually when i'm dieting to lose weight it's like I'm still shopping at Walmart. I'm not getting organics. I'm just focused on does it not have carbs? Does it not have calories? Whereas when I'm dieting to feel good, I'm focusing on what are the ingredients in this? You know, like are there any preservatives or anything like that? And it's more of like an elimination mentality. So I'm glad we yeah, went over that with yeah. Suboxone. I think that it's really good stuff. Um, I'm really curious about the methadone now because methadone to me is really taboo because – it's weird how they use methadone to taper heroin addicts because methadone is actually has a worse withdrawal than heroin. I'm curious what your thoughts is, are. Do you think it's just because it's more controlled and distributed by a doctor that makes uh, the the methadone make sense? Yeah, so well, I'll, I'll tell you why I did methadone first. Like for me, the boxing didn't work. Um, I don't know if that's because I wasn't in the right place at the time. But I would always get to boxing, it would be my crutch. You know, like I would go out and use, and then when I couldn't find it, instead of withdrawing, I would take the boxing, and it would just be my crutch. So I was never able to not use it out, like, the right way. And just with methadone, when I started using that, I was like, all right, you know, what I heard from it was when you when you get on methadone, you're on it forever, or you're going to go through severe withdrawal. So when I got on, I was like, all right, well, you know, this is the last step. I, I can't do heroin. Uh, Boxing's not working, so that's just the next step for me. Like, I have to try something else. So I got on thinking I was going to be on it forever because uh, I didn't want to go through severe withdrawal coming off it. Like you said, it's worse than heroin. And I was just told you would never get off it. So, you know, that that was my mindset going into it at least. As I went through, as I went through the methadone, like, I would try to use heroin and it wouldn't really work for me. I wasn't shooting. I was just sniffing it. Uh, people, I was using methadone with someone who shot, and he said he would feel it a little bit. But even though methadone, I don't think it's considered a blocker, um, like medically, for some reason it, it, I couldn't feel the heroin, whereas on Suboxone I could actually feel it more. So I would keep trying to use with the methadone kind of like I did with Suboxone, but it wouldn't work. So eventually after six months of kind of, you know, trying to use heroin here and there, I was like, fuck it, like I'm not getting high so I might as well just stop. And from there, I was able to completely stop and just start taking my methadone. And that's the one big plus that methadone did for me was I couldn't really use it as a, as a crutch. It was either kind of all in or all out, and I was able to go all in with the methadone. Yeah. And uh, what were what were your doses like with methadone? And I'm curious also, like, how much heroin were you using when you went into this? Yeah, so I was using up to three bundles a day, which in our area at the time, a bundle was 13 bags. We were getting pretty potent stuff. You know, it was from Philadelphia area, um, you know, because there was stuff around here that you could get that was much, much weaker, you know, that you could get in, like, Wilmington, Delaware, which is well known for it. But it was much weaker, and we always got the stuff from Philly, which was actually pretty strong. So I was using a good bit, although I was just sniffing it. And I would do, on average, two to three bundles a day. Um, so what did you ask from there? Where do you want me to go from there? Oh, uh, like how much methadone uh, did you start with in dose? And like, okay. what was your, how long was your taper and how did you taper down? Gotcha. 
So when I got in the methadone program, they make you got to piss dirty. Like you got to, you know, pee and they got to see that you're on heroin. So I went in, I peed and I tested positive and I got it on and they started me at 30 milligrams. As I, as I went on, I was able to increase my dose by five milligrams each time I went in. If I would say, look, like if this isn't enough, like I'm still don't feel good. To be completely honest, I felt okay at the 30 milligrams but I was still in that addict mindset where I kind of wanted to get high still. I was like, well, if I'm taking the methadone, I might as well get high still. So I kept going up in doses. So they would, they would take me up five milligrams. Each time I went in, I would say, you know, I'm not, it's not working still or, you know, it's not working enough. And I did that all the way until I got to 105 milligrams, and that's where I stabilized, where I was on 105 milligrams for quite a while. So... I was on 105 milligrams, Now I would go back to using here and there. After about six months, I saw it wasn't working, so I was like, all right, I'm committed to the methadone. I'm just going to do that. And that's where I started making some changes. You know, I started kind of looking back into building an online business, which I had been in many years earlier. Um, I started, you know, kind of making a little bit of positive changes with diet a little bit, not, not a ton. Uh, and then I stayed at that dose for about two years. And I remember specifically I – at that time, like, the more you use or the more you piss not dirty, the more you piss clean, they'll give you take-home bottles. So at that point, two years later, I was getting seven or six take-home bottles uh, each time I went in. So I'd go in once a week, get my dose there at the window. They would watch me take it, and then I would get six take-home bottles. Well, after about two years, I went on a trip one day, and I went to Florida, I remember specifically. And when I was at the airport, it was either a bottle or two bottles fell out of my pocket. And I get to Florida, and I'm like, I go through my bottles, and I'm missing. It's either a bottle or two. I don't remember which one. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, I started freaking out. I was like, I'm going to have to go through withdrawal. So the whole trip was ruined. Like, I was freaking out the whole trip. And I get back to the airport, and I found the bottle or two, like, in the seat, like, in between the seat of my car. Like, it fell out of my pocket, I guess. Uh, and that, from there, made me realize, like, I don't want to be on this. Like, I don't want to have to rely on something to make me feel better like what if a big snowstorm happens what if you know i run out of money and i can't afford my dose what if my alarm doesn't go off in time and that experience right there kind of made me realize like i wanted to start coming off this stuff now i'd always heard that no one gets off it so i was a little hesitant but i was like you know what i'm just going to take it really slow and I, I didn't start right there i think it was like three months later I found out my son was on the way, and my girlfriend at the time got pregnant. I was like, all right, it's time. Like, I'm, I'm going to start coming off this stuff now. So the next time I went into the clinic, I told my counselor, I said, I want to start tapering. I said, but I want to do it really slow. So the plan was to come down one milligram a week until I got off. So that's what I did. Every, every week they would take me down one milligram, and I did that. And it was a two-year taper process. When I got to 20 milligram, I think I paused because I went on vacation again. And uh, it was like a month pause by accident because I didn't realize that they didn't start me tapering back down. But for the most part, it was a one milligram taper till I got to the 10 milligram mark. When I got to 10 milligram, I started feeling it a little bit. I started noticing a little bit of difference. And I started coming down one milligram every two weeks. And I did that for the last uh, 10 milligrams where it took me 20 weeks to come off. And I started getting a little bit of withdrawal symptoms around the six milligram, like where I really started noticing, like restless legs. I started not being able to sleep at night, um, maybe a little nauseous, but nothing horrible. Like it was never really bad withdrawal. And as I was coming off, you know, six, five, four, three, two, one, 
started getting really nervous, you know, kind of asking around, looking for people who have done it. I actually have a, a post on a forum from 2013, I believe it was, that kind of documents all this. I'll show you to you when, you're, when we're done, Philip. But I remember getting down to one, and, you know, I couldn't sleep. I had the anxiety there, a little bit of restless legs, and I was like, oh, man, like, when I jump off, what's going to happen? And luckily, by that time, Matt had got me back in the gym, and I was just, you know, I, as much as I didn't feel like it, I was getting up at 4.30 in the morning. I was going to the gym at 5 a.m., working out for an hour, and that was, I think that was really helping my mindset. And I'd also gotten rid of all my negative uh, people around me. I didn't know, know anyone who used anymore. I replaced those people with positive people. You know, I started meeting people at the gym, people who were into health. By that time, my business had really started taking off, so I was really focused on my business. Um, so I've made a lot of positive changes where when I came off, I didn't like, the, like the last thing I was thinking was going back because I had so many positive things in place that if I started using again, it would ruin all that stuff. So for mm. me, that was, that, that was one of the big important things of getting things in place and, you know, the positive changes, the people, the exercise, because I had already built myself up the business. I'd already built myself up, and I knew if I started using again, it all goes out the window. So that's another big benefit of kind of getting the positives in place while you're tapering. Yeah, so when I Yeah, so when I finally got off, it wasn't really any different than the, you know, the one to six milligrams. Uh, I didn't sleep very good for about a month. Like, I'd probably get like an hour of sleep a night. Um, I definitely got pretty bad restless legs and some anxiety. But I wasn't throwing up. I wasn't shitting myself, you know, like severe diarrhea, uh, you know, no cold sweats or nothing like that. So I did go through some minor withdrawals, but it was manageable because I had made all those positive changes. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Suboxone just didn't work for you guys. Do you guys feel mutually that if Suboxone works, it's the better option? Yes, I do. Um, I think that is the first thing that people should try because it's a little more forgiving but the problem with me is I'm I'm, a, I'm a little more of an extreme addict than that, I think. And forgiving for me didn't work. Like, it just – forgiving for me allowed me to go back and use too easily. But there's definitely people, I think, uh, like Matt, who can get on a reputable program and get through that easier than methadone. Yeah, it's uh, also something I think that's interesting about Suboxone, at least I've heard this, is that if you take opiates while you're on Suboxone, you'll get really sick. You know, we were we were discussing this um, not long ago. I and I guess it's I, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't. You know, I understand like the the half life of Suboxone and, and everything is is pretty quick. Um, but I did definitely ingest heroin um, at certain points when I know that there still had to be Suboxone in my system. I would say. But I, I didn't get sick. We never, I don't ever remember you, like, taking Suboxone and then using heroin, like, within 12 hours. Yes. Like, never immediate. We would always take Suboxone and then give it, you know, 12 to 24 hours, then use heroin. So it could make you sick if you do it right after, but we never did it, like, within 12 hours. I so. see what you're saying. So yeah. I imagine there must have been at least a day or two where you couldn't, because of the methadone clinic, is it really like, like uh, the movies where it's, like, this long-ass line that kind of people go to daily? <laughs> Yeah, actually, it's funny you bring that up because that was one of the things that also made me want to quit. Is to be real with you, like the methadone clinic is not a positive place. You know, I mean, it's like I've seen fights in line. I've had problems. People there, you got people yelling at you, and you know, just it, it's a pretty negative crowd. And you know, you go there, and there's especially on weekends, there's a line out the door. 
on the weekends they only served doses like for two hours. So all the people that were on the clinic would go within that two hour period. And that was kind of one of my anxieties. Like, what if I miss, what if I just miss my alarm one day or I sleep in a little bit? Like, I'm going to miss that dose. So yeah, I mean, it is kind of like the movies where it can be very long lines. During the week when I went, the lines definitely weren't as long. Sometimes there'd be no one in line. But, you know, you go up to the window, like they, the, the little machine goes, and it like kind of measures your dose, goes in the cup and they watch you take it. And then they'll, they'll do all your take-homes as well if you're at that point where you've, where you've tested, you know, clean for a while. I'm curious of both of you guys. I'm going to ask about methadone first, but I imagine there was a, a day or two span where you couldn't get a hold of it. Have you ever been through methadone withdrawal? Never. I, I got my dose every single time. I've okay, never missed so you never it, What about with Suboxone? Was that, there ever a time where you couldn't get it and or you just forgot to take it and then you, did you get sick and like were reminded that way or anything like that? You know, it, one, one time in particular stands out. We were, it, we were out of town. It, it was local and um, I mean, or it, it wasn't very far. We, we were driving distance, but I left the house without my prescription and I got, we were about three hours away and it hit me like a bus that I, I left the prescription in my house. And, um, I was like, we got it. We have to turn around and nobody, they were like, are you, are you serious? Um, so my point with that is I, it, it was only the, uh, anxiety of not having it. I, I never, I never went long enough, um, to where I, I experienced any real withdrawal symptoms besides the mental ones. Now, I will say that, you know, when Greg and I were trying to find a reputable source of Suboxone early on in this whole thing, um, we, we did, you know, we, we knew what it felt like, uh, especially after that first experience with kind of the sketchy doctor when we got through that, that seventh day of not having anything. I think it was a couple hours. And we were getting sick. It was very similar to heroin. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Okay. So when you were tapering, did you guys experience like withdrawals during the taper at all? Or like when you tapered down, was it noticeable or was it like barely noticeable? So with the, the taper, um, it was barely noticeable. And I, you know, this is why we really encourage people um, to, you know, you want to have a, a, a timeline for your the whole tapering process, but I would not rush it at all. Um, it, it was nice, at least for me, to have that. Again, mine was about 18 months. It was nice to have that time to um, drop the dose down. And if I was going through like a stressful period in my life, or you know, there was a lot going on back then, as I'm sure um, you can imagine. If I was going through something particular with you know court dates or or anything where I knew I was going to be super stressed out. I made sure not to drop my dose down just to, you know, play it safe. Um, but as time went on, I just kind of learned how to, to deal with a lot of these, you know, day-to-day -day stressors or situations um, that would, you know, cause me to want to use in the past. Um, this was almost like a, a learning curve on, on, you know, how to handle those situations without turning to a, a substance, really. Yeah, so for methadone, I I really didn't feel anything till about 10 milligrams. Like I said, it was pretty minor, mostly just lack of sleep, restless legs, and some anxiety. But, you know, we make these videos and we have people comment on them, and they're like, bullshit, no way. 
But what they don't understand is, you know, like we talked about, first of all, everyone's different. Everyone's going to react differently. And one of the big things that people, the, the mistake they make is they don't make any changes. You know, by that time, I, my focus was on building my business. I had changed my diet. You know, I'd made all these positive changes, and that makes a huge difference. You know, we, we do a lot of videos on diet stuff. It's one of our, probably like our least watched videos because no one wants to diet. It's hard. It's not easy. But that's what makes the biggest difference. You know, what you put in your body, like we talked about, just like drugs in your body, food is a drug. And how you feel when you're at that dose, where you are mentally and the type of food you're eating is going to greatly affect how you feel coming off it. So that's why we recommend, you know, a long paper where you can start getting things in place. Like while you're comfortable, you want to start getting positive changes in place. You don't want to start trying to make those changes when you feel like shit when you're withdrawing because it's not going to work. You want to take that period you have in that paper where you're comfortable and start implementing those changes then then by the time you get to the end where you may have some discomfort, you're going to be, uh, you're going to have enough positive changes and be far enough away where it's going to be a lot more manageable. That makes a lot of sense. And uh, I'm glad you guys are bringing this up because uh, I've heard the other side that rapid taper is the way to go. And uh, in other words, get off as quickly as possible. But what you guys are saying is it makes a lot of sense because you're talking about uh, giving yourself time to develop happy, healthy habits because if you rapid taper, uh, you might be too sick, and then even when you finally do get off it, you might still be like post acute withdrawal symptoms is real. So there's acute withdrawal for like seven to ten days, but then post acute withdrawal can last six to nine months. So what you're saying yeah. is like it's it's transitioning. And uh, so how do you guys uh, stay sober today? Yeah. So let's start. Yeah. Um, well, I think you know it's it's been a, a culmination of those healthy habits that we you know, started putting in place, you know, for me, I guess, about um, just a, about 11 years ago um, and building off of that. And I, Greg was mentioning earlier um, something that kind of caught my attention. Uh, he was, you know, saying that while he was going through his, uh, his maintenance program with methadone, he was, you know, building his business. He was improving his health. Um, he had a son on the way. Greg had a lot of positive momentum um, going into, you know, his, his tapering method and then into his recovery to where it is today. And it's kind of the same thing on my end. You know, I, I started getting some, some, uh, seeing some progress, you know, mentally and physically, although that was, you know, kind of, uh, an afterthought, but with the diet and the nutrition, and I, you know, started wanting to help other people, you know, maybe fix their, level of health a little bit. Um, and I, I built a business around that and it's just now I can look back and see all the steps that, you know, Greg and I both have made in our lives and the momentum that we built. And really for me, I just, I just try to keep that momentum going. And, you know, part of what we're trying to do with Project Unbroken is just to keep spreading, you know, that news that, you know, it's possible for other people, um, to take their life, from you know where they're at now or if they're actively in their addiction or they're working on their recovery um i don't think there's a lot of people out there that are or there's not enough people that are talking about um making it and there i know there's a lot of us out there uh it's just nobody's nobody's explaining you know what they did or what worked for them or you know what might work for somebody else out there mm -hmm. yeah so 
for me, it's you know it's very similar. And going back to the rapid detox thing, like you know everyone's different. That may work for some people, but just I just want to throw this out there because we've seen it kill people. You got to be very careful of doing that because a lot of times when you you know do a rapid detox, you haven't changed like the people who are around you. You, know, you could rapid detox, you could be okay for a month, and then you still have people who use around you. It's very easy to get pulled back into it when you've made no positive changes, and that's where a lot of the overdoses happen. Yeah, you know, the we, tolerance we a lot, is down. Right, and that we've known a lot of people where like you know we see them on Facebook and they're posting pictures like oh man like they're doing great, then the next day they're dead, you know, and they they've overdosed because they haven't used for a while and they go back and they use and their tolerance is low and they overdose. You, that, that's one of the things that scares me about like a rapid detox and getting off quick without having any positive changes is when you go back to use and it's, it's very, very dangerous and you're very in, you know, trouble for an overdose. So I just want to touch on that really quick. But for me, you know, I just focus on positive things. Like I don't, I don't even think about the drug days anymore. I just, I focus on, you know, my health, uh, eating right. You know, like now my focus is on, when I eat right, that's what kind of makes me feel like I did when I was on drugs, you know, I, like naturally, like working for it, you know, like I realized that it, when you work for it it, 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 it is so big, like, like you have to work for it. We're so used to just taking a drug and feeling good instantly. But as I came off, I learned like, okay, when I put it in this work, I can naturally feel good like that, but you got to work for it. You know, I got, I don't feel like getting up and going to the gym every day. Like I, you know, my alarm goes off. I'm like, shit, like I just want to go back to sleep. But I get up and I go to the gym because I know in the end that's going to make me feel good long term. The same thing, like I want to eat cookies and cake and, and ice cream, but I know when I do that it, it just sets me back and I don't feel as good. Of course, I mix it in, you know, in, in moderation, but for the most part, I'm eating healthy, and that's just what makes me feel good. And then, of course, I focus on my family and my business, and, you know, I'm still an addict. Like, <laughs> I'm greatly addicted to sugar. You know, I'll go on my binges where, you know, I'll binge on sugar for a weekend. I'll feel like complete shit. Uh, then I have to get back on track. Um, and, you know, I'm addicted to working out now because it just makes me feel so good. I'll work out two hours a day. I definitely overdo it. So I definitely still have that addictive personality, but I try to channel it in a positive way and towards positive things. Yeah. And uh, a question for you guys is, like, of course, life can get, you know, fucked up sometimes and, like, just go, kind of go to shit. Um like, you know, how do you handle that situation or do you have a plan of action or like a perception to where, say, like all the things that could go bad, like just kind of start happening and it's hard to not be negative. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it's it's been funny because Greg and I talk about this a lot and it, it's neat because, you know, as Greg mentioned, we split paths completely. We, we cut ties and communication 100% when um, essentially I realized that if, if we if we stayed friends that we were going to keep dragging our, each other down. But we were able to kind of look back over our recovery processes. And there were six years when Greg and I were doing our own thing. And of course, over those six years, um, we went through all sorts of crazy shit that just, you know, life throws at you. And that's something uh, that everyone's going to deal with. And I think over the course of the six years, just learning how to take stressful situations and manage them in a healthier way um, was probably the, the greatest gift either one of us could have ever received from our addiction. And I think we got a lot of that because, um, you know, we both did long tapering processes with our different maintenance programs. 
And we had essentially, um, I had about a year and a half, and Greg had two years to have a little bit of a crutch with the Suboxone or the Methadone. Um, but in those two years or that year and a half, we were also faced with a lot of difficult situations, uh, you know, uh, emotionally difficult situations, stressful situations, things with, you know, family, people dying, um, you know, trying to start a business and learning how to navigate those stressful waters um, without going immediately to a substance. And then as the taper process wrapped up, that was the true test for me is, you know, I went through, uh, I was in a a long-term relationship that ended and, you know, went through some things like that, um, that would have definitely been a, a stressor or a trigger for me to use again. And I just had, I had that time through the long tapering process to learn how to separate the stimulus or the, the stressful situation and my reaction to that stimulus. And I started to have time to look at the situation to understand how I felt about the situation and then try to make a, as good of a, a judgment call as I could based on those circumstances. Um, and now, you know, after it, it's been about 11 years um, since I was active in my heroin addiction, I'm just very confident in my myself, essentially, and how I deal with stressful situations. Um, you know, we both, again, run businesses now, and it's, it's constantly putting fires out um, as an entrepreneur. And, and we always go back and credit the adversity that we face through our addiction and through our recovery with, you know, knowing how to handle that in a healthy way now. Yeah. yeah I, and then I, think, I, go, sorry, go ahead, Phil. Uh, I just, yeah. I think it's cool to, it almost sounds like uh, you see uh, stress and, and pain as like growing your experiences. Kind of like, you know, going to the gym is painful. Like nobody wants to tear 100%. muscles. Uh, nobody wants to eat healthy, and then when you go through the emotional pain, it's like it's a way to develop emotionally, and you become stronger each time. In other words, probably on day one, you didn't handle these emotions as well, but now you're getting stronger and stronger to where, uh, yeah, you still get upset about it, but it's not so devastated that you feel the need to do anything in the world to escape the pain. You still like work through it together. Um, so you just hit the nail. You just pretty much took the words out of my mouth. I mean, I pretty much, I mean, I pretty much look for challenges now, you know, like, I mean, the workouts that I do are crazy. Like, you know, I, I do jujitsu, I do MMA, like I, I do things that scare me and challenge me because I realize where it's going to get me. So when something bad happens, I don't focus on like the bad thing that's happening or like, Oh my God, this sucks. I focus on, you know, you know I know this going to strengthen me, you know. And it's also like complaining about something is going to get you nowhere. Like Matt's car broke down the other day. He's like, oh, oh well, shit happens. Like, I, I got to call the place and I got to get it fixed. And it's like, you know, if Matt complained, I said, you know, we did a video on this. I was like, Matt, tell me ten times how much it sucks your car's broken down. And he told, he said, you know, it sucks, it sucks, sucks. You know, after ten times, is your car fixed yet? No. Like, it, complaining about it and getting down about something is going to bring you nowhere. You just got to... You know, take a minute, regroup, and then start figuring out what steps you need to do to fix the problem or to get through the problem. And that's kind of that's kind of where I'm at with my recovery. Yeah, and I, I think it's awesome to offer these uh, unique looks and outtakes on recovery because 
like I, you know I'll be honest the 12 steps saved my life and it one for them I definitely wouldn't be sitting here right now so you know I but I you know at the same time it seems like that's all people are fed you know there there's really no alter alternative even within treatment facilities like that's why I like uh, facilities like Renewal Health Group. Um, they're rare, but they focus on individualized treatment, um, which is like creating a program that works for the individual, 12 steps or not. But it's very rare to find that in a rehab. Usually a rehab is almost like the premier 12-step program that you pay $30,000 for a month of. Um, so yeah. I, yeah. I, th I think that it's really cool. And, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, no way to deter people from the 12 steps. Uh, but I, when I ask him this question, because it could be the only thing that saves you or your son's life. Um, and it's definitely worth trying. And I know that they both tried it. Um, but at the same time, I want people that have tried it and been turned off to be able to relate to them, perhaps. Uh, and what turned you guys off from the 12 steps or like just the rehabs and that kind of thing? Yeah, again, for me, it was like, you know, I'd go to the meetings and they would be talking about drugs the whole time. And I'm like, I don't, like I, like, I was just done with it. Like, I didn't want to talk about drugs. I wanted to move forward. I wanted to do positive things. And every time I went to a meeting and, you know, I'd, I'd introduce myself as an addict, Although, yeah, I mean, I'm an addict, I, I didn't perceive myself that way anymore. Like, I'm, like, I'm moving forward. Like, that is done. I know I'm still in danger of it. Like, I can't do opiates especially. I can't do drugs. But, like, I'm moving forward, and that's kind of what deterred me. And, and like you said, like, everyone's different. Like, some people, like, I'm not religious, but for some people, religion is what needs to get them through. You know, and we recommend that whatever you need to do, whatever works for you, do it. You know, like, our way isn't for everyone. 12 Steps isn't for everyone. It's going to be different for everyone. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would um, you know, piggyback off of that. Greg did not go to any rehab rehab i went to an outpatient rehab yeah. for like three days and again i left there with a new connect and went and did a bunch of cocaine and that that was it and why, why was I, that i don't like for me again like i was in the outpatient rehab we were talking about drugs the whole time and it was just a trigger for me you know we went outside to smoke a cigarette and one of the guys was talking about cocaine and how he had just messed up a couple nights before and i ended up leaving two hours later with him to his house and doing a bunch of cocaine which i didn't even do that often so for me, like when I when I went to the outpatient rehab for a few days, or I went to these meetings, I would always leave there in worse shape than before. It, it just it just wasn't for me. But again, for some people, like my wife went to rehab a year and a half ago for for alcohol, a little over a year and a half ago, and meetings were great for her. You know that they did very well for her. She doesn't go as much anymore, but at first they were essential for her. So I, I just it's definitely different for everyone. Yeah. It's about knowing your triggers, knowing when something's working, and then trying something new if it's not. And I'm really grateful that you guys came on and offered your solution, which is different, unique. It makes a lot of sense. Um, I think it's very you know, practical, and it's something that people can apply to their daily lives and educated us on Suboxone and Methadone. So I really appreciate y'all's time. And uh, you guys Absolutely. should definitely check them out if you guys are uh, – you know, interested in, in hearing more from them, uh, Project Unbroken on YouTube. It's it's pretty easy to find, pretty easy to spell out. Um, just search Project Unbroken, uh, search it on Google, YouTube, you'll find them. And uh, I think that they got good things going on on their channel. And uh, thank you guys so much for your time. Absolutely. Thank you.